You know, I'm glad the uh, Foo Fighters were from Seattle rather than New Jersey because there goes my hoagie would not have uh, caught on quite so much. Hey, welcome to Renaissance, and uh, my name is Clay, and it is great to see you guys out here this morning. Thanks for coming out on uh, this beautiful weekend. So over this uh, past week, uh, actually past couple of weeks, I spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time thinking, a lot of time talking to folks about what is it that I want to share with you guys uh, this morning? And as Michael uh, mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about John the Baptist this morning. And John has been one of my heroes for, for a pretty long time now. And as I was thinking through all the events uh, of the past uh, couple of weeks, just kept coming back to John the Baptist and uh, something that he did in his ministry. And really for me personally, both in my personal life, but also thinking uh, as a pastor, John and, and all that he did has been encouraging, comforting, and, and even inspirational to me. So my hope and my prayer is uh, this morning that uh, as we look at a little bit at John's life, it's going to be helpful and encouraging to you as well. John the Baptist, if you're not familiar with him, uh, was a pretty unusual kind of a character. Uh, the Bible says that he lived out in the desert. He lived away from most of the rest of civilization. Uh, he wore clothing made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. You know, we sort of think, okay, what's the deal with the leather belt? All of that is just a sign in those days that he's kind of like this uh, survivalist mountain man kind of thing. He's, he's rustic. He's a rough and, and tumble kind of a guy. He's also the kind of guy that if you see him walking down the street, you're probably going to give him a little bit of a berth, both from his look, maybe also kind of hard to say, but if he's smelling like a camel, I'm not sure that I'm going to want to get uh, too close to him as well. Um, he ate locusts and wild honey, uh, the Gospel of Matthew says. I think I can handle the wild honey, not so sure about those locusts and never tried them, and I'm not looking forward to doing it one of these days. And then there's this message. The message that John was bringing was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, it's kind of like one of those guys that you see on the streets of New York that are saying, turn or burn, you know, and they're just scruffy looking kind of a guy, as opposed to if you ever flip on the TV late at night and you see somebody in a nice suit and tie, and they're talking about how you can have a wonderful life, you know. That's not John the Baptist. He's the turn or burn uh, kind of a guy. Um, and he was a prophet that God used to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. God had called John. He had spoken to John, and he said, you're the guy that I'm going to use to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. And what's interesting about John, one of the unique things about John is he was one of only two people who actually knew who Jesus was at the beginning of his ministry. The other person was Jesus' mother, Mary. And in both cases, God had revealed to them who Jesus was, that he was God's son, he was gonna be the Messiah, the savior of the world. So when John comes on the scene, he knows who Jesus is and it's his job, it's his role to tell people who Jesus was. And he's, he's not afraid to speak his mind. And I think part of that was because he knew who Jesus was and he knew the role that he himself was supposed to play. 
So one day he's out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to confess their sins. And the Jewish religious leaders show up and John sees them coming. And when they arrive, he just says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I mean, that's not kind of the Andrew Carnegie, how to win, you know, win friends and influence people. You know? He's not afraid to tell people what he thinks. And then a year or two later, kind of got him in, in trouble because uh, he went to the king, a guy named Herod at that point. And he said to Herod, hey, it's not appropriate for you to have taken your brother's wife and married your sister-in-law. And Herod didn't like this, so he throws John in prison. Problem was, Herod's wife didn't like it even more than that, and she ended up persuading her husband to have John's head taken off. And so I guess the, the moral of that story is it's one thing to offend the king, it's another thing to offend the king's wife. And so John is one of these guys who is just not afraid to speak what's on his mind. So you've got this picture. We've got this picture of, of this kind of survivalist guy. He's living out in the wilderness. He's eating, living off the land, eating locusts and wild honey. And he's telling people that they need to repent of their sins and get right with God. And he's not afraid to give that message and to tell people what he thinks even if it's going to cost him everything. And ultimately, it ends up costing his life. And in spite of this, in spite of all the wild look, the, the, the crazy diet, and the, the pretty, what could be sometimes a pretty challenging and offensive message, in spite of this, or maybe because of it, people are just flocking to see John. They're just flocking from all over the region out to the wilderness to see him and to hear his message. And he's baptizing them as a sign, as a symbol that they have confessed their sins and that they have repented, that they have turned and that they want to be prepared for the Messiah to come. And so that's what's going on here uh, with John the Baptist. And as I thought about him, like, why is it that John is one of my heroes? In a sense, he's more like my alter ego or or maybe I'm actually his alter ego, kind of Superman. He's Superman, and I'm a little bit of a, you know, the Clark Kent kind of thing. John lives in the desert, and you know, I don't want to be out in the desert. I, I don't even really like to go camping that much. You know, suburbs, okay? That's where I want to be. Never mind living out, you know, in the desert. He eats locusts. You know, I like chicken, and I want my chicken cooked, not like raw locusts or whatever it is. John is not afraid to speak his mind. And if I'm honest with you guys. Confronting people would not be high on my list of things to do on a regular basis, you know. And so I look at John, and in some ways he is so different than I am, yet I'm really kind of drawn to him uh, in a number of ways. And my childhood heroes were sports figures, you know, uh, Roger Staubach, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, best quarterback the Cowboys ever had, uh, definitely better than the quarterback that they have now, although he's doing okay recently. The other set of heroes I had, so, so I had some athletes. I also have to admit, I had some scientists, you know, some physicists. And those of you who know me, I'm a little bit of a nerd, you know, intellectual kind of approach to things. So Albert Einstein and some of those guys were kind of my heroes, you know. So why is it that this 
you know, grasshopper-eating guy, mountain man, survivalist kind of guy, is uh, actually right now pretty near the top of my list of heroes. I think it's partly because I admire some of the things about him that are, that are different than I am, and I kind of wish that in some ways I were, uh, you know, were a little bit more like him. But there's something else about John that we haven't talked about yet that just really inspires me. And as I was thinking about that aspect of John this past week, that was what I kept coming back to. And that's what I kept focusing on. That's what I kept praying about. That's what challenged me. That's what encouraged me. And that's what I want to share with you guys uh, this morning. And in order to do that, we need to take a look at something that happens in the Gospel of John, which is one of the biographies of Jesus, who is written by a guy with the same name, but it's a different John. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is one of the characters uh, about whom John the Apostle wrote. So let's take a look at John chapter 1 and start at verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Essentially, John is saying, hey, there goes my hero. And he's saying this to his disciples. And if you think about the situation in which uh, the Jewish people found themselves at this point, they had for centuries now been under the domination of all sorts of different empires. Everybody from the, the Chaldeans to the Persians, and now it's the Roman Empire. So they're under Roman domination. They're also in some ways feeling oppressed even by their own religious leaders who are just heaping burden upon burden upon burden on them. And so they're finding, you know, it's, it's a pretty tough time if you were a Jew living in that part of the world at this point. And so they're looking for the Messiah to appear, and John basically says to them in a way that they would hear it, there he is, there goes the Messiah. About a, a week or so ago, last Friday, and, uh, last Friday night and last Saturday was the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, uh, the Jews all over the world take the day to fast and to pray, to confess their sins, and to look to God to forgive them for the sins that they've committed over the past year. Something that's different today than it was uh, in John's day and in Jesus' day. Back then, they were able to offer animal sacrifices, including lambs, as part of the atonement process. Today, there's no temple, so they don't do that uh, when they go to the synagogue. But back then, they're offering this sac these sacrifices, including lambs, and so when John says, look, there's the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world, his Jewish followers are going to sit up and take notice because they're saying, wait a second, you're saying that that guy is like these lambs that we have to slaughter on a regular basis? That guy is going to pay for, he's going to atone for our sins? I'm looking forward. I want to find out more about that guy. So that's what John is saying to these people. He's saying that Jesus is really the hope of the world because he's the one who's going to meet our deepest need by cleansing us from our sins so that we can be restored to a right relationship with God. That's what John's talking about. And then watch what happens in a few verses later. The next day, 
John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Same thing. He's pointing to Jesus just like he did the day before. But watch what happens next. When the two disciples heard him say this, they left John and they followed Jesus. Where did that come from? I mean, why would they leave John and follow Jesus? Celebrities don't gather a crowd just in order to pass them on to somebody else. They gather a crowd, they gather fans, they gather groupies to, to stroke their own egos, to make themselves feel better about themselves and, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And yet, when John says, there he is, his disciples take off without a word and they just, they just follow after Jesus. John the Baptist drew a crowd not to stroke his own ego, not to say, look how many followers I've got. He drew a crowd for the sole purpose of pointing him to Jesus and saying, there he is. There's the hope of the world. There's the Messiah. Follow after him. John was more concerned about the needs of his followers than he was about his own legacy. And he knew that the best way to meet their needs was to point them to Jesus. And that's why John is my hero. I, just as I think about John, I admire him because he's not looking for applause. He's not looking for praise. He's not looking for people to say, hey, I really like the clothes that you're wearing. And hey, you know, uh, tell me a recipe you use, you know, for those, for those locusts and, uh, and wild honey there. That's, that's not what John was about. I, I just admire a guy who had such a single-minded focus on caring for his followers' needs that he was going to do what was best for them, even if, it meant, even if it meant that in some sense he's working himself out of a job. And that's the kind of person that I want to be. And that's what I've been thinking about and praying about, especially these past couple of weeks. Because as I think about it, I realize, you know what? The world needs Jesus a whole lot more than it needs me. And I want to be like John and saying, there he goes. There's my hero, Jesus, the one who came, the one who sacrificed himself, who in some sense was even, I mean, not in some sense, he actually is greater than John, but in some sense he's like John or John is like him in that Jesus cared more about my needs and your needs than he did about his own. And that's why he was willing to die that's why he was willing to sacrifice himself so that he could be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's keep reading and, and see what happens next. Down at verse 37. So the two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus replied, come and see. So they went, they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. John points his disciples to Jesus. They start following Jesus. Jesus says, come and see. Let's hang out. Spend some time with me. Get to know me. Find out who I am. 
And so the disciples did that. They hung out with Jesus because they wanted to find out more about who he was and what it meant to get to know him and to develop a relationship with him. And then the same basic thing happens again. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed him. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. There he is. That's the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So John points Andrew to Jesus. Andrew follows Jesus. Andrew tells Simon about Jesus. And Simon goes out to meet Jesus. Verse 43, next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He finds Philip. He says to him, follow me. Philip found Nathanael, told him, we found the one about Moses, uh, whom Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, check him out, says Philip. Jesus invites Philip to follow him. Philip brings his friend Nathaniel to Jesus, and Nathaniel says, Newark, Newark, you're telling me the Messiah is going to come from Newark? I mean, come on. He should be from Brooklyn or, you know, uh, maybe from uh, Short Hills or, or, or maybe actually Maplewood. I just read an article that said Maplewood is the new Brooklyn, you know? And so, but Newark, come on. And that's what Nazareth was like in those days. And so, you got Nathaniel, he's skeptical, and he's like, I don't know about this. And Philip says, well, all right, come and see. Come and check him out. So Nathaniel and Jesus have a little bit of an interaction, and then down uh, in verse 49, Nathaniel declares at the end of the time that he's with him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And this pattern, it keeps repeating over and over and over again. Each time, each time, When somebody gets to know Jesus, they believe and they're so excited about who he is that they just go out and they grab a friend, they grab a family member, and they say, hey, come on, you got to meet Jesus. You got to find out who he is. And then when their friend or their family member comes and spends time with Jesus, they end up believing as well. John the Baptist, as I said, is one of my heroes because he pointed people to Jesus rather than himself. And and as I think about John, I'm reminded again and again and again that my ministry as a pastor is not about me. It's great that, you know, to see you guys on Sunday morning or Saturday night, whenever you, you know, whenever you come out. But what's most important is not that you're coming out to to hear the band, although that's good. It's not that you're coming out to hear a message. It's not that you're coming out, you know, to, to hang out with each other. My hope and my prayer is that we're coming together every weekend so that we can see Jesus, so that we can come and find out more about who he is and what a difference it makes in our lives to have a relationship with him to know him. And then as we get to know him better and as we're more and more excited about it, my prayer is that all of us are going to want to go out and tell our friends and tell our family members and tell our neighbors that Jesus is the hope of the world, that he's the one who's come to meet our, our deepest needs. Because when you, again, when you stop to think about it, I, you know, we all have to realize the world needs Jesus a whole lot more 
then it needs me or then it needs you or then it needs really anyone or anything else. So that's why John the Baptist is my hero because he had that single-minded focus of pointing people to Jesus. Kristen mentioned, uh, Kristen Bover mentioned the mission statement uh, for the kids area, for the kids ministry here at Renaissance. And it's really a takeoff on our mission statement for, for Renaissance as a church uh, as a whole. Our mission statement says, we're a local church in this area, helping our friends and our neighbors explore and experience a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Essentially, what we're saying is we believe Jesus is the hope of the world. And so we're about pointing people to him. We're saying, there goes my hero. Come on, let's go meet him. Let's encourage one another. Let's help one another uh, to get to know him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, I hope and I pray, and I've been praying this week for you guys, that you're going to want to point people to Jesus. You're going to want to tell people about him. Share with them what a difference having a relationship with him has made in your life. Share with them maybe a passage of scripture, something from the Bible that's been an encouragement or a blessing to you this week, you know, and just tell them about that. Facebook, lots of folks are posting different verses of scripture on Facebook this week. And there were several that were just so encouraging to me that I just kind of stopped and read it through and, and prayed. And thank God for the blessing that one of my Facebook friends was willing to share with me something that was meaningful to them in their relationship with God. And as a result of that, my faith was strengthened and, and I was encouraged and uh, I was just recommitted uh, to focusing on Jesus and, and helping people to, to, to come to know him. And so invite your friends, invite your family to explore what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And it may be tell them about your faith. It may be inviting them to church. It may be encouraging them to go to a church that's closer to where they live. Whatever it is, the goal and the focus ought to be pointing people to Jesus. And then whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, all of us need to come and see Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you gotta come, you gotta check him out. You got to begin or continue to ask questions, to explore, to find out more about who he is. Because if he is who the Bible says he is, then the implications are life-changing. They're staggering. And so it's absolutely worth the time to check out and to get to know Jesus. But even if you already are a follower of Jesus, every day, all throughout the day, I need to keep reminding myself, keep my focus on Jesus, keep coming back to Jesus, keep exploring, keep asking questions, keep growing, keep getting to know him. Because that's, as we were singing today, that's where my hope, that's where my strength, that's where my courage and my encouragement are gonna come from. And if you think about John the Baptist and his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples didn't just for no reason go off and follow after Jesus when John pointed, pointed them to Jesus. They had probably spent months with John the Baptist talking to them about who Jesus was. 
So when the time came that Jesus showed up on the scene, they were ready to follow after Jesus because it was a process that they had been involved in probably for many, many months. And if you look at uh, even just the Gospel of John and follow the story, follow the lives of the different people who encountered Jesus, especially his disciples, especially his closest friends and his closest followers, you realize that for them it was a process. It was a process that began when someone brought them to Jesus for the first time and they began to ask questions. And as they saw him maybe do a miracle or teach, they believed. But then you turn and you know, two, three, four pages later, you see John saying, and they believed again. And then they believed again. You're like, what's going on here? And I think what, what the apostle John is trying to say is that the process of, of faith, is, is, it's a process of growing in our faith. We don't just suddenly believe everything, it takes some time. It takes spending time with Jesus. And one of the key ways of doing that is by praying and and, and reading scripture. We'll talk about that uh, in just a minute. But it's a process by which we get to know Jesus. And they had their ups and downs. I have my ups and downs, my questions, my doubts, my dark moments, my bright moments as well. We all have that. And so my encouragement to you is just commit to the process Commit to the process of exploring and getting to know Jesus better and better and better. And I want to give you a couple of suggestions for how you can do that. First, continue reading in the Gospel of John. And if you haven't started that, if you're new at Renaissance or you just weren't you know, quite into that to begin with, we've been talking about it for most of this fall. And we've been encouraging you guys to read like a chapter of the Gospel of John every day. And if you really want to take up a challenge... Try to read it about three times between now and the end of November. But this week, as you're reading through the Gospel of John, wherever you are, if it's chapter one, you're over in chapter 15 or chapter 20 or, or wherever you may be, what I want you to consider doing is put yourself in the shoes of the people who are encountering Jesus, especially those who might have been encountering him for the first time. What was it that attracted them to Jesus? Was it a miracle that he did? Was it something that he said? Was it the way that he treated somebody else? What was it that attracted them to Jesus? And if I, and ask yourself this question, if I believe that that's true, how would that make a difference in my relationship with Jesus and maybe even in my relationship with the people around me? So as you're reading through the Gospel of John, ask yourselves those kind of questions. Don't just let your eyes pass across the words on the page. Ask yourself that and ask God to really to reveal himself to you as you're reading through the Gospel of John. The other other thing that I really want to encourage you to do is to really consider signing up for the project. And I know probably about half of you have been through the project already. The project is a four-week interactive conversational experience that we do here in the auditorium on Saturday nights. We're starting uh, next week, next Saturday night here in the auditorium, and it's an opportunity where we come together and we kind of explore and we look at the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis a little bit, and we look at a couple of chapters there, and then we jump further actually into the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, and we're looking at God's story, his story, his plan that's unfolding throughout the Bible, uh, how he is restoring 
our broken relationship with him. And we look at how our story intersects with God's story, and we do it in a, in a kind of Q&A, kind of a format, conversational, a lot of fun, a lot of good discussion, good way to get to know some folks as well. And so if you're just starting out on, on this journey, perfect opportunity for you. And let me, let me really challenge you to consider signing up. You can do that in the cafe afterwards at the info table. They'll tell you all about how you can do that. But if you've been a follower of Jesus, and, and I have been for, you know, for about 40 years or so, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, come on out as well. Because as I've talked to people who have gone through this, even those of us who have known Jesus for decades, it's a, just a great, encouraging experience. We learn something new, we get to meet some people, and we're just refreshed in seeing how God's story intersects with our story and the incredible love that God showed us in sending his son to sacrifice himself that we could be restored with our broken relationship with him. So, John the Baptist, one of my heroes, he pointed people to Jesus. He invited his followers to follow Jesus because he believed that Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus said to them, come and see, come and get to know me. Spend some time with me. That's what we're about here at Renaissance. That's our mission. That's our goal. That's our prayer. That's what we're trying to do every weekend. And it's my hope and it's my prayer for you guys, for all of us, that we will all want to be on that journey, that we'll continue on that journey, that we'll continue to look to Jesus that will continue to grow in our relationship with him. And as we do, my hope and my prayer is that our faith will be strengthened and our desire to point other people to him will grow and grow and grow. And, and that as that happens, not only will our lives be changed, but the lives of, the, of our friends and our neighbors and our family members will be changed as well. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you I thank you that you were willing to come, to be born, to live, to suffer, to die, to rise again, that we could be restored in our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I thank you for that. I thank you for John the Baptist and the challenge that he is to me, a guy who was not afraid to speak his mind, a guy who was not afraid to speak truth to power, a guy that was really willing to sacrifice his life for what he believed to be true and, that, and who was more concerned about the needs of his followers pointing people to Jesus than he was about gathering a group, gathering a crowd and stroking his own ego. Father, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us that we would grow in our relationship with Jesus, that our love for him would grow and that our desire to tell people about him would grow as well. And I pray that as that happens, I pray that you do some amazing things in us as individuals, in us as a congregation, as a church, and also in our families and in our neighborhoods. I thank you for your great love, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks, you guys, for coming out. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll look forward to seeing you next weekend.